morning once again. Welcome to Stonebridge Church. Um, if you have third through fifth graders, or if you are a third through fifth grader, we have um, age-appropriate uh, teaching over in the cube, the West trailer right here, if you're interested in that. Um, and this is the last warning we're calling this week and next week PG-13 Sundays, um, because the text, the scripture that we're going through is about sex. So I said it, I warned you, it's out there. Um, but we just we want to encourage you if you if you have younger ones, we have something this morning from age zero to fifth grade for them. Um, if you would like them out of the service, um, maybe today would be the, the uh, an opportunity to to have your kids join up with that. And um, so yeah, I I was trying to think of the best way to start this, and I couldn't think of well I shouldn't say I couldn't think. Um, our elders couldn't think of a better way to start but with this, so check this out. All state can pay me later. Um, so here's the thing. If you just sent your kids out um, and they're in third through fifth grade, you should be talking to them about sex already. It's probably too late, in fact. It's never too late, but I'm just saying they're probably already learning about it from sources that you don't want them to learn it about. So um, our D6 ministry is named after Deuteronomy 6. And so in Deuteronomy 6, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and then it's, it goes on and it says, Hey, you need to help your kids love God by talking about him as you go here and you go there. As you're going through life, talk about God with your kids. So God designed sex. Newsflash. Um, but he designed it. So we need to talk about sex with our kids as well, as well as other um, hard topics, um, because I know you don't want them learning about it from their friend on the bus. So um, we have some resources for you, because we don't want to just say do that, and here's an impossible task, but if you go to the last slide, Megan, um, there it is. So how to talk to your children about sex. This is a video that should be posted on Facebook. now and is also on our website. It's a 12-minute video, okay? I know you have 12 minutes. Uh, At least watch this. has some great ideas for just to get the conversation rolling, to continue the conversation. Check that out. Jen Wilkins, she's done some, um, some women's things that our women's group has gone through. Really solid stuff. So then the next one, we have some other uh, resources as well that are on our website, some books you can check out, more like booklets. Um, you can check out as well. Um, but just start having the conversation. And you know what the best resource is for this? The best resource is, is actually sitting next to you. So other people in our church who have walked this road with their kids. So find other parents. Hey, what have you done? What have you not done that you should have? You know, just talk through this with other people who are older and wiser who have, if, if you're, if you're I, like, just totally freaked out about it, even if you're not totally freaked out about it, gain some wisdom from one another. 
So, okay, so there's some resources for you. Please watch that video. It's gold. Okay. If you can turn with first Corinthians, to 1 Corinthians 6 with me. We're going to start in verse 12. And while you're going there, I want to talk about two main attitudes that our culture has towards sex. One of them we're going to talk about today and one we're going to talk about next week. The first one is that we tend to demonize sex. And that's by and large, is the American church culture. And the way that we demonize it is by not talking about it. Or at least when we do talk about it, all we do is condemn it and not talk about how it's actually a gift from God. And when it's, and when it's practiced in its designed context in marriage, it's beautiful and good. It's not like God deci- decided to create men and women. Adam and Eve went over here and ate a ham sandwich, then came back and was like, what are you doing? I, I would have never, what? No, God created our bodies and created sex, and it's, it's good in its proper context in marriage. Um, so Joey's going to talk about that more next week. Um, this week, we're going to talk about how our culture tends to deify sex. Okay, and that's, that's our culture by and large. It says that sex is the ultimate experience. You can't hardly go anywhere without seeing things sexualized. We're in a very sexualized culture. And today's scripture battles against that. So, when people teach this text, or you hear a sermon on it, or you even just read it yourself, usually what I hear and walk away with is, stop it. But Paul doesn't actually lead with stop it. He leads with why. Why should we avoid sexual immorality? Why flee? The main, the main uh, command in here in verse 18 is to flee sexual immorality. So no matter where you're at in your relationship with God here this morning, whether you're uh, an atheist or you've been a believer for 30 years, here's what I know is true about you. You need a better understanding, a better understanding and a better conviction of why sexual immorality is a big deal and why it's wrong. Because we live in a sex-crazed culture. So Paul leads with the why. Let's look at that. Verse 12 to 14. Notice the quotation marks. He's quoting the Corinthians, what they say. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Here's the Corinthians logic. Okay, food is meant for your stomach. Stomach is meant for for food. That's great. That's awesome. Therefore, our bodies are meant for sex, and sex is meant for our bodies. And, and that's how it is. That's what the, how they were trying to justify sexual immorality. It's just like eating food, not a big deal. It's a necessity. And Paul says, wrong. Wrong on both accounts. The body is not made primarily for sex. Your body is made for, what's it say, the Lord. Verse 13. It's not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord. Okay, so while sex is good to be enjoyed within marriage, and that's great and good and necessary for marriage between a man and a woman, Paul's saying, you know what? You were primarily made for God, not sex. 
And he says, you're also wrong because the body is, your body is not only for this earth. Your body won't be destroyed. Our bodies, for us who believe in Jesus, will live forever. We'll be made perfect. So we need to take care of our bodies. We need to treat our bodies in an honoring way. So the Corinthians are saying, you know what? Sex is just a physical need, like eating food. And our American culture says that too, right? The term casual sex. Well, according to Paul and according to God, there, there actually is no such thing as casual sex. Because it's not just physical. It's not just like eating food. Paul's saying, it's not physical. And you know what? You guys have experienced that in this room. Many of you, even by me bringing up this topic and reading these scriptures, it brings up some hurt and some pain. And you're reliving that already in your mind. Is it just physical? Really? So here's God's ethic on sex. So we heard the Corinthians. Now here's what God says, and here's what Paul is saying. God's ethic on our bodies. So one, your body is eternally made for God. It's not physical. It's going to last for eternity. Verse 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Our bodies are going to last for eternity. It's not just physical. And they were made for God, it says in verse 13. Therefore, God knows what's best for your body. God knows what's best for your body. And the second point follows from that. So, your body is eternally made for God. Two, your body is not made for temporary pleasures. And in this instance, sexual immorality. Your body is not made for temporary pleasures. Clearly, we weren't designed by God to be satisfied by anything that's temporary. You know this to be true. You know, we, try, we're, we find a food that we really like, and we just keep coming back to it to try to be satisfied by it. What, do we, what happens? We just want more. Nothing temporary can satisfy us, sex included. Therefore, you don't naturally know what's best for your body. We naturally are just focused on the temporary. We're not focused on the eternal. We're naturally self-focused, not God-focused. And we're naturally sinful by nature. We see that all over the Scripture. So we can't actually see what's best for us because all we tend to do is live selfishly and sinfully. So you don't naturally know what's best for your body. Body's eternally made for God. Your body's not made for your temporary pleasures. Third, God is eternally for you. God's eternally for you and your body. Look at verse 13. At the end, it says, uh, this is in the New Living Translation. It says, they were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. Some translations say, and the Lord is for the body. Let me just kind of pass over that, but don't miss it. What that means is that God is for you. He actually cares more about your body than you do. He cares about your body experiencing pleasure. He made your body to experience pleasure. God is not a prude that wants to prohibit us from sex. I know what I'm saying right now is super countercultural. Most everything I'm going to say this morning is super countercultural. So listen really well to what God is saying, not to the culture. 
Here's how we know God is for us. Here's how we know that he cares about our bodies. Look down at verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God is so for you that he died for you. That's how for your body he is. He cares so much about you that he gave up his only son with the precious blood of his son. That was the price. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 is up on the screen. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's how much God is for you and not against you. He gave up His Son's life. Anyone in here who's ever lost a loved one, you start to get a feel for what God did, how much God is for us. He gave up His Son. But he didn't stop there. He rose from the dead. God rose Jesus from the dead. So you could have a resurrected body. We just read that in verse 14. So he's for us, not just now, but he's for us for eternity. He paved a way for us to have eternal resurrected bodies. He has a beautiful plan for your body. A better plan for your body than you could have yourself. Therefore, God did what was ultimately best for your body. So here's God's ethic on our bodies. God knows what's best for your body. You don't naturally know what's best for your body. God did what was ultimately best for your body by dying and then rising from the dead to give us resurrected bodies. So who are we going to listen to for advice about sex? Ourselves? A culture or God? I think it's pretty clear we need to listen to God. Not because God said so, but because He is for us. He knows what's best for us. But what does God say? This brings us to verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. I want to just hang out on that phrase the rest of our time this morning. Flee sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Well, in the Greek, which is the original uh, language that the, the New Testament was written in, the word for sexual immorality here is porneia, which is where we get the, the, the word pornography from in English. But here's a simple definition of that for you. Any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Kevin DeYoung says this about Pornea. He's a pastor. Um, got, has some great books out there. I know women's ministry has done one before by Kevin DeYoung. He says this, The simplest way to understand Pornea is to think about the things that would make you furious and heartbroken if you found out someone was doing them with your husband or your wife. If someone shook your wife's hand, you you wouldn't be upset. If someone gave a casual side hug to your husband, it probably wouldn't bother you. 
kiss on the cheek or even a peck on the lips in some cultures might be appropriate. But if you found out another person had sex with your wife or saw her naked or touched certain parts of her body, you would be furious. If you found another person made out with your husband or talked about sexual activities or made certain gestures, you would be heartbroken. Why? Because these are all activities that are appropriate for a married couple but are inappropriate when practiced outside of the lawful relationship of a man and a woman in marriage. Any sexual activity between those who are not married or between two men or between two women or among more than two persons or between family members or between those married to other people, any sexual activity in these contexts is sin and can be included in the prohibitions against pornea. Here's what he's saying. Don't do anything that you wouldn't want someone to do with your spouse. Okay, so even if you're in here and you're single, just imagine you're married. And when you're trying to figure out how to be sexually pure and not be sexually immoral, just figure, okay, what would Matt be furious about if I did that with his wife, Heather? So the line is actually really crystal, crystal clear. You know, people are always like in dating and in, in engagement. Where's the line? How far is too far? I think that the church has suffered for a long time by people giving really vague gray answers. When I think the Bible, I don't think, I actually know the Bible here makes it pretty crystal clear what the line is. It's not doing anything that you would not do with someone else's wife. You know what? I wish I had known this. I had some people give me some really wishy-washy answers as to like, how far is too far when I was single. And I made a lot of mistakes because I had in my head, oh, just don't have sex. Well, guess what? You can be pretty, you can be really sexually immoral and not have sex and really dishonor God. And I did. So I want to spell out some of the most prevalent forms of sexual immorality in our culture. And I don't want to do this to, to be shaming. I want to do this because we, re- we really easily justify sexual sin because it's really rampant in our culture. So, remember, sexual morality, anything I wouldn't want you to do with my spouse, fantasy, thoughts, thinking about getting intimate with somebody else. And this almost always starts emotionally, right? We think we think of the physical, but this often starts emotional, starts in our thoughts. Secondly, pornography. This one, I think we can, we can become really guilty of justifying. I've heard people come to me, actually, who are Christians and go, it's not that big a deal, Matt. And you know what I would say to them? And I've said to them, would it be okay for you to watch my wife naked on a screen? 
Is it okay? Porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix. Amazon and Twitter combined. I honestly wasn't that shocked by that. It's, it's really rampant. But if you were shocked by that, that's the culture we live in. That was 2013, according to the Huffington Post. It, and by the way, this isn't just a man's struggle. This is very much a woman's struggle as well. From research I looked at. The devil fights hard to get to you believe that porn is not a big deal and it's not wrong. Again, imagine if that was your daughter. Would it be okay? Another prevalent form of sexual immorality. Physical intimacy outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So, again, would you be okay making out with my wife? Would I be okay with you making out with my wife? Absolutely not. Someone touching your spouse? Affairs? Acting out on same-sex attraction? Rape? Prostitution? I could go on and on and on. Sexual immorality. The definition, once again, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. This is a huge deal because this is not the way God designed it. Don't forget the first part of this sermon. Don't forget the why. God cares for you. He is for you and what's best for you. So if you don't think sexual immorality is that big of a deal, tell that to every member of every broken family ever that has brokenness because of sexual immorality. You know how many families would be would be mended and healed if there was no sexual immorality? So I want to talk now about how sexual immorality is unique from other sins. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's levels of sin in God's eyes. All sin is deserving of God's just wrath because He is holy. And it's just. But all sin can be forgiven. And all of it was paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. But sexual immorality is unique. Here's what I am saying. I am saying that different, level, different sins have greater or lesser consequences right here on earth. You know that to be true. If I lie to my spouse versus murder someone, there's going to be different consequences. And there should be. So, here's how sexual immorality is unique from other sins. One, it's like cheating on God. We're eternally made for Him, remember? Look at verses 15 through 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So the main problem in Corinth, the town that Paul was writing to, the main problem was prostitution. 
You remember I shared this a few weeks ago. There were temple prostitutes that would come down every night from the temple of Aphrodite and perform their duty. So Paul's confronting this head on. Will you make Christ a member of a prostitute? He's saying, Corinthians, you're joined to God. You have His Holy Spirit inside of you. It's like cheating on God when you are being sexually immoral. You're becoming united in the most intimate way possible with someone else. You're not just disobeying God. You're intentionally rejecting your identity as a son or a daughter of God when you're sexually immoral. It'd be like setting your spouse down over here and then having an affair over here and holding up your finger with your wedding ring and go, I don't care that I'm married to you. That's what we do to God every time we're sexually immoral. It's like we're inviting Christ right into, their, into the bedroom or whatever you're doing. All forms of sexual immorality are like that to God. It is unique from other sins. It's like cheating on God, but it's also against your body, which is eternally valuable. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That last part, sinning against your own body. Again, he's saying here essentially that sex is way more than physical. It's your emotions. It involves your mind. It involves your heart. It involves your soul. Clearly, clearly that's true. You guys have heard of of women coming out right and left with this hashtag Me Too movement, right? They understand that it's not just physical because it scarred them for years and years and years. When you're sexually immoral, it's a lot like this. I got two pieces of paper taped together. And what happens when you're sexually immoral with someone else is bits and pieces get left behind. You're all torn apart. It's just a mess. It affects you, not just your physical body. It affects your soul when you're sexually immoral. There are deep wounds and scars that you'll carry with you the rest of your life. So how can we flee from it? How can we carry out verse 18, flee from sexual immorality? How do we do this? Here's how you do it. Flee. Don't stay around. Run. Get the heck out of that situation. Paul could have said, hey, stick it out and battle sexual immorality. But instead, he says, flee. This literally might mean leaving the room. Or a situation. As soon as you sniff it out on the internet. As soon as you sniff it out in relationships. Run. Here's why you should flee from sexual immorality and not fight it. You're not strong when it comes to sexual immorality. When it comes to sexual temptation. I don't care who you are. 
The strongest person in here physically is just as weak as the next person when it comes to this area. We can't sit there and go, I'm good. I'm going to battle it. I'm going to fight it. You can't. No one can fight it. Flee. So another part of fleeing isn't just getting out of there. It's not getting in the situation to start with. Don't get in unwinnable situations. If you know certain websites that tempt you, give those up. If you know certain places with certain people that tempt you, don't go there. Billy Graham recently passed away. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure we have some Billy Graham stories in here. Uh, but he got together with some other evangelists early in his career. And he, he developed what was called the, the Modesto Manifesto because they made it in Med- Modesto, California. They said this, We all knew of evangelists who had fallen into immorality while separated from their families by travel. We pledged among ourselves to avoid any situation that would have even the appearance of compromise or suspicion. From that day on, I did not travel, meet, or eat alone with a woman other than my wife. We determined that the Apostle Paul's mandate to the young pastor Timothy would be ours as well. Flee youthful lust. 2 Timothy 1.22 Myself, Joey, Shane, we've all made this same commitment that Billy Graham did and stick to it. Why? Because we are not strong. We are men. We're messed up and in need of a Savior each and every day. And I do not trust myself. You shouldn't trust yourself either. You should flee. You should make a commitment like this. Most of you need this. On my phone and on every device that I have that has the internet... I have what's called Covenant Eyes, which takes every site that I visit and emails, uh, flags certain sites that could be pornographic, and emails them to people in my life who hold me accountable. I don't have that on my devices because I struggle with pornography. I have that on my device so that I won't struggle with pornography. Preventative. Don't get in this situation to start with. I would... I would uh, take a bet that about every man in this room cannot handle a device like this in their pocket without being tempted to look at pornography. I know it's not just a man's struggle, but it's especially a man's struggle, right? Don't put yourself in unwinnable situations. Flee. Get accountability. Get someone in your life, maybe several someones, to ask you, hey, did you do this or that this week? And then ask, are you lying? (laughs) I know several people in our church right now who are finding a lot of victory over sexual immorality because they're banding together. It's beautiful. But the most important thing to do to flee sexual immorality has to do with our hearts. We need to remind ourselves that God is for us. That God isn't a prude and a bad guy trying to keep us 
from this, this, this thing over here. No, he, he has our best in mind. So much so that he died for us. We need to be humbled and amazed at the death of Jesus Christ. It's why we sing about the cross so much here. And that's not just for battling sexual immorality and sexual temptations. It's all sorts of temptations. We need to remind ourselves that God is for us. He has our best in mind. So much that He died for us and He rose from the dead so that we can have a a body that will last for eternity. That should empower us to obey. Because I can put up all the barriers I want to against being sexually immoral, but if my heart wants to, I'll still go and be sexually immoral. That's true of you as well. Our hearts need changing. They can only be changed by Jesus. God who is for us and not against us. So I want to end the way that Stephen ended last week with 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I know that many of you right now are feeling rather hopeless and shamed. Probably because of past mistakes in the area of sexual immorality, I want you to hear verse 11 really well this morning, if that's you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many in here are also feeling really hurt because others have made mistakes sexually and left you as wreckage in their path. And I want to challenge you to ask God to help you offer verse 11 to those people in your life who have hurt you. What they need is Jesus. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You can be washed. You can have your sins forgiven and cleansed and given new life. Offer that to those people. As hard as it may be. And for all of us, we need to reach out to a hypersexualized culture, not with accusation, not with condemnation, but with the truth of verse 11. Such was I. Maybe not sexually, but look at this list. You fit somewhere in there. Such was I. I was there. But I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be too. Let me introduce you to this man named Jesus who loves you and wants to wash your sins white as snow. So we're going to have, a, have communion in a couple minutes and I'll, I'd like to invite the worship team up now. But I want to help us get ready to celebrate communion, to celebrate the death of Jesus Christ for us with a time of confession and repentance. So, 
I, I'm going to have us do something physical. I think it's really important with something like sexual immorality that's often very physical to do something physical, to confess and repent of those things, of those sins. So to help kind of focus our hearts and minds, I'm just going to walk us through, have us confess sexual immorality. I'm going to have you take your hands if you want to. I'm not forcing you to do this. But I would like everyone to, to bow their heads and close their eyes. And just take your hands and put it on your head. And I just want us to confess anything sexually immoral that you've thought. And if you're here too, and you're, you're like, you know what? I don't really struggle with sexual immorality. Find something else up here on this list. Just have a time of confession of our sins. So with your hands on your head, confess any thoughts that have been sinful or sexually immoral in the last week, month. Move your hands down towards your eyes. Confess any sexually immoral images, videos, or things that you've allowed yourself to see in the last month or week. And move your hands down near your mouth. Confess anything sexually immoral that you've said, comments you've made, words you've said. Now just hold your hands out like you're receiving a gift and confess anything sexually immoral that you've done, deeds that you've done with your hands. Maybe not just with your hands, with, with any part of your body, things that you've physically done that have been sinful. Now move down to your legs. Confess any situation that you've put yourself in that's led to sexual immorality. Okay, you can look up. Here's what I all want you to hear really well. Everything you just confessed, 
because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. He is now washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're free. Let's walk in that freedom. So we're going to take communion now um, during the next couple songs. and any-